walking without skin, managing adversity with vulnerability. Gather evidence, because for example, if they want to open a case, they will need evidence. If they are able to document everything that has been happening in the relationship, they can document it for whatever that has happened and what they have went through. They need to always remember it was never their fault. There are people out there who still care for them, love them, and will do everything to help them change. You are listening to Walking Without Skin, the show where we encourage our guests to be vulnerable, to share their voices with authenticity, to tell their stories from the heart. We will talk about hope and recovery, about overcoming loss, changes, challenges, and adversities. We will walk without skin. And here is your host, Lois Wagner. Hi, I am Lois, your friend for forgiveness and the creator of Walking Without Skin. I have a book with the same title, Walking Without Skin. And today I have the pleasure of chatting to Nasishle Mukherjee. Hi, Nasi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great to have you here. So Nasi is an intervention specialist qualified in social work and psychology. She works for Tears Foundation, helping people who have experienced gender-based violence and abuse, and she renders services at their time of need and walks the journey of healing with them. That is such a fabulous, fabulous support that you offer. So welcome, Nasi. But before we start talking about what you do, what does the term walking without skin mean to you? The definition it carries for me, it means you walking without, because we use the skin, we, 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 we frame it as a protection. So you're walking without the protection. You're walking bare and you're not afraid of it. So it's it, it discovering that braveness in you to be able to come out and live uh, on your own. You, people can see the real you without the skin covering you. Fantastic. I love that. Thank you. So, Nasi, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? 
Okay, so I work as an intervention specialist at TS Foundation. As you said, I'm qualified in social work and psychology and currently studying law. So um, I'm very passionate with helping people. Um, since I started working at TS, I've been developing more and more love of helping, especially women who have experienced abuse. Not only focusing on female, because at TS Foundation, we have all genders. So for me as an individual growing up in a community, because I grew up in a village in KZN, having seen that people who need help Help. They do not have access to services. They do not have knowledge. So I gained that love of saying I would love providing these opportunities to people. I would love to provide knowledge where it needed. So studying um social work degree, which was my first degree, it's oh, it was eye opening. Um, so in my journey of learning and my journey of practicing as a social worker, which I started here at TS volunteering in 2018, I gained this love of helping people and I'm now even more passionate and I'm starting towards being able to advocate for people and also advocate for survivors. Because what I've also realized is that our criminal justice system here in South Africa, there's a lot of negligent when it comes to survivors. No one ever follows up on whenever you opened the case or whenever you went out to, to the hospital or whatever you did or went to a shelter. No one ever asked you after that, after they rendered those services, how are you doing? No one ever phone you and say, how are you sleeping at night? If you no longer needing services that everyone is expecting you to need, everyone will just leave you in that corner. So I'm um, that person who will walk into your um, your corner and ask exactly how you're doing. And if you just want someone to listen to you, I can provide just that. So after realizing also the need to mend the gap between the services and the people in our community, because as much as we do not have facilities, but we have services that people can utilize, but they're not aware of them or they do not know how to access them. The attitude toward our community towards abuse is still quite tricky because if you come to realize they still blame victims or survivors for experiencing whatever they experience. So while we're still working on educating and preventing in the communities, the person who's going to go back to survivors because it's already happened to their lives, but they need someone to be on their corner and support them throughout the healing. At what point do you make that connection? When do you first start walking this journey with a survivor? Okay, so most of the cases that we receive are people who will phone in maybe at Tears Foundation, because as much as I use my other platforms like my social media and in my community to help people, I use Tears the most because it's what I do every day. I'm always in the office working with people. So most people who come to us are people who need urgent services. Sometimes they'll call in, they need to get to the hospital, they need to help with the, their cases with the police. So as soon as they've made contact with us and I'm aware that person needs help I, I just come in and, 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 and intervene in their cases I never leave them after that it will only be the person who will say to me okay now I have to do this because as much as I'm supporting I need to, to, to also help them be able to do things on their own because I cannot say I'm supporting and at the same time I'm doing things on their behalf because it's their healing process they need to also be able to commit and be able to, 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 to follow the task given to them so my support sometimes also go in a point where I need to push them to a right direction, not only to push, but also allow them to make their own decisions and choices. Can you give us an example of something that you do to help them? Okay, so most of the cases I've been receiving um, are cases where, for example, um, let's say a rape survivor 
has reported the case and uh, the perpetrator has been released back to the community, maybe because the DNA evidence hasn't come back from the laboratory, which takes up to two years or never even get resolved because we know how in South Africa things happen. So what I've been helping with is to follow up with the FS units. I'm working a lot with the FS units as much as um, I cannot like, uh, make the justice or, or, or the case to go to court and uh, people to get justice, but I get the necessary information and also put pressure to police to say, you do please action this case. And if you don't, I'm gonna reach out to the station commander. I'm gonna reach out to the to to to, to the major general because I, I have those contacts of which I've been um, having good opportunity to be exposed to Mara's contacts and I will use her contacts to get to right people. And so what I've been assisting with is to follow up on those cases and making sure people understand if they are in this situation and what is the stage of the case, they need to understand exactly if the case is with the cause or is with the police station, what is happening with the, with that dot cat? Because if they go just straight to the police station, they get dismissed and they are disrespected and all that. And like if I'm calling on their behalf and saying I need information on this case, would you please update me? It's different from a survivor going to the police station. So I've been helping a lot with that. And also if they, the perpetrators just came back to the community, they do not know who to conduct and say, it's really affecting me to see him walking freely on the street. What do I do? To see him again in the family meetings, if it's a family member, because most of the cases in South Africa now are happening with the family members. So I've been that person who always support if the person needs a shelter because they cannot tolerate being in the same environment with the perpetrators, I will assist with that. If maybe they, only need is just to join a support group and try and 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 leave again in the same environment i will offer just that it depends on what the person asks from me what is the ss unit it's family violence sexual offenses and child protection units okay so they release the person even though the person is a suspect they release the person back into the community before they get the evidence yes and um, most of the cases they do that and even with the courts and um, most cases that go to court today for rape the perpetrators are not getting convicted they will only be charged and when it goes to court, they got released because of lack of evidence. The DNA evidence at the moment is taking longer to come back from the lab laboratories. So it take about two years, minimum being a year. So even more than two years. So it's taking very long and people do not get that kind of explanation that we are actually dismissing the case because of this at this moment they're not actually dismissing dismissing they will give information you know the courts will use the wording like for example saying mm -hmm. the perpetrator has been released but not acquitted and the person does not understand and they ask the, the, the investigating officer the investigating officer will be like the case was dismissed and it's not with me it's with the prosecutor and the person doesn't know what to do after that and like i'm telling them okay this is what has happened and the judge say they're deciding on this because of apc while we're still waiting for the DNA evidence, you got an opportunity to sit with the prosecutor and provide other, other evidence of which it can be also enough for, 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 for the perpetrator to be kept in a cell until um, the DNA evidence comes back. But people are not giving the, that information or those opportunities to sit down with the, 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 the prosecutors or, or whoever who can help in that, in that space. But they are just dismissed and they are ignored in the police stations and the court and everywhere 
everywhere. Survivors are not getting support as they're supposed to be getting in South Africa. That is horrendous. And what are we doing about it? How are we, we working to close that gap to ensure that the results get returned more quickly or that there's somebody to gather additional evidence? What are, what are we doing about it? Because SAPS, the FCS unit, has been, we've been raising this concern. And uh, not only, I wouldn't just talk about tears on myself, because we, we sat on a meeting for Houghton where DSD was also involved in all other stakeholders that work with survivors. And we're raising this concern, um, including the ages of consent for sex, because a 16-year-old and all the ages is ridiculous in South Africa. And we're just suggesting why can't just be 18 where the person is all matured and stuff so all those complaints we've been putting them forward and the saps has said no they're actually working on what has been given by the parliament so if we want to challenge this challenge our criminal justice system so another way of challenging criminal justice system is to come together as the stakeholders and put together documentation that's going to go forward and, and give enough weight to change the attitude at the parliament because that's where the rules are made, that's where decisions are made, and we end up with these rules that make the, the system to fail survivors. So we've been trying to advocate for survivors and say, please do consider them because the judges at court are Actually, it's cold when you come to understand mm -hmm. what they do to people, the survivors, if they come forward with their abuse. Oh, that is so hard. It's so hard for that survivor to cope and to live through that. So what is the best piece of advice that you can give somebody who is now suffering and waiting for that evidence? I, I strongly always recommend getting psychological support. As much as you having your family, having whoever you're talking to, it's very important that you get psychological help. Go to therapy, get that help. As much as you are also getting that help, make sure if you have something that you do not understand, reach out. Reach out to people because most of the cases, they end up ignored just because the police officer at the police station just decided to be disrespectful to you and you felt powerless, of which I understand. It's, it, it, it's very, when you are vulnerable when someone is already putting you down, you feel like you have got nowhere to go. So what I want to say to people out there, reach out as much as we are um, waiting, for, we can be waiting for the judges to make decisions as called, but we have platforms where we can dispute those decisions. Okay, and, and what about the safety aspect when the perpetrator is still walking the streets? Like I was saying, the decisions that are made at court are very affecting and it, it affects badly the survivor. Uh, but what we need to know, we need to fight and we need to fight a good fight because we need to stop this. Uh, when, when the court made it, it makes a decision, the judge needs to give a reason if they're saying this person is going back to the community, what are you saying about the survivor? Because you, you cannot just make a decision and ignore the other person who's also involved in this case, emotionally and psychologically. So what we're trying to do is to try and fight as much as we are getting the support and we cannot say we neglect the rights of the, the alleged perpetrator, because we referred, uh, referred as the alleged perpetrator at that time. But let's also consider the complainant, because they, they have came forward with their abuse. If you are taking this person back to the community, what are you saying to other survivors who haven't reported their abuse? 
because it's it's actually not affecting the one person who just got felt by the criminal justice system, but it affects everyone who's sitting at home and want to come forward with their abuse. They're going to decide not not to report because they've seen people who have decided to report living with the consequences of coming forward, being judged by the community, and having to deal with the fact that your survivor is still roaming around. If you had to take a guess, how many, what percent of people don't report? What do you think? How many people are too afraid to go and report their, their abuse? I think 60% of the cases do not get reported. Sure. The numbers are just Actually, outrageous. Dealing with less than what we're dealing with. I think um, cases that are reported are way lesser than cases that are, that are not reported. And those people who don't report, do they seek help from you? Yes, we do get people who come and say, I need a psychological support, I don't want to report. And with us knowing the criminal justice system and also respecting the fact that the person needs to make their own decisions, we cannot force them to report, unless if it's a minor, that's when we can go forward and report it to, um, uh, for them. But if an adult comes forward and say, I need psychological help, um, this person did this to me, but I don't want to report it, it's okay. Because forcing them to report and ending up um, sending them to court, the court that's going to violate them like again, it's also going to be you actually violated them because you force them to report at the same time, they end up not getting justice. So if they're deciding that I don't want to come forward with this, I don't want to report, that just want to get psychological help just offer that if the person maybe wants to go to a shelter because most shelters will require you to either get a protection order or get um, a, a case reported it's okay we encourage the person to get a protection order because it's better than reporting a case if they don't want to report a case it's absolutely their choice and we still support them and what age is it when they're still a minor Okay, um, so the person who's under the age of 18, if, um, for example, as a social worker, I'm aware that the child is being abused and they don't want to report. So we've been looking to the ages from 15 to, eight to, to 18. Those people, they are able to um, reason. So as much as I cannot say, I'm not going to listen to you, I'm just going to go forward and report. We sit with them. If maybe it's an incest and the case was maybe the person got abused by a family member, we sit in and try to understand the situation in the family. If we have to send a social worker to do the assessment in the family, we're going to just do that and say to them, if you don't want to go through the SAPS route, you can also use this social worker route where you can also get help. If they want to be removed from the family, we can help them with that. If they still want to be in the family but want to stop the abuse we assist with just that respecting that decision but also at the same time making sure that we're not leaving them in the abusive situation if it's a minor that is under the age of 12 and they're being abused and they don't want to report as much as i will provide psychological support for them i will refer for counseling i will refer for assessments and everything but it's still my responsibility to make sure the case get opened what percent of the cases that you deal with are dealing with minors? So the system changes. Like, for example, recently I've been dealing with a lot of minors. I'll say 70% of the cases I'm dealing with there for children. And really? it's been rape. Rape has been dominating. It's rape of children. So the point is I recently got a 12-year-old that was raped and she felt pregnant. She had to give birth and she was unconscious because her body was too small um, to give birth and all the complications. 
Oh, this is so dreadful. What are we doing to stop this? As a, a foundation, and I've been working with different other uh, stakeholders, as much as we are trying to educate, because that's what we need to do, target um, the children and youth to educate them about gender-based violence and, and rape. It, it, it still hasn't hit at this, the spot because we are still trying to provide sessions where we educate um, uh, children what is abuse because they don't even know um, what is abuse. You find that I went to one of the high schools here in Johannesburg, had a session with them during the LO class because I would do like a one hour session um, with them just educating them on gender-based violence and abuse. So it was surprising for them to say, would you this this, this, like um, actually define what is abuse for me, what is the age of consent, what is consent, it's, they do not know, they don't really understand. And you tell them about the things that, what do you do if maybe a 22-year-old is, is, is wants to be in a relationship with a 12-year-old, and they will be saying, oh, but there are relationships like that, and you can actually identify that they do not understand. There's a lot of abuse going on with the children, especially here in Houghton, we've been having high uh, statistics of um, children aging from nine to 13 years old giving birth. So most of those cases, um, they're not even statutory rape, it's rape where older men will be raping the children and they'll fall pregnant and it starts with the touching and uh, the comments that are made, but the children would not be aware that they're actually, that's abuse. And it will grow and grow to the point that they get raped and they fall pregnant. And um, also we've been trying to do prevention, working with the other groups, because we identify that you cannot be trying to prevent abuse and only focusing on girl children. What about the boys? Because they are the future men. What's going to happen in the future if you're neglecting men? Because we cannot say we're going to leave them outside. They're also getting abused. And for them to, 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 to not become perpetrators in the future, they, they also need to be included. So we've been trying to do this inclusive approach where when you prevent, you need to prevent from both genders. Yes, that's so important because they say that one in 10 boys are abused. It's a lot of boys. I've got a program called BRAVE, and the objective of that is to eradicate bullying and harassment and sexual violence. In that context, what does the word BRAVE mean to you? Um, to me, rape is not only, uh, I know um, that's how it's even defined um, according to the books, um, not only just penetration, because um, the community's got this attitude of saying the only person who can be raped, it, it, it can only be raped when there's penetration to the vagina or the penis. Um, rape, it's actually multi-layered. It can be raped for me when you are putting your finger or when you are inserting something into um, a child's vaginal part or not even a, a vaginal part in their ear with um, a, 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 an intention of enjoying sexual um, activities. It's rape for me. And also rape for me, it, it, it not, because the attitude of our community, which also I believe culture has to do with it, um, is that rape is only when a stranger will meet you in the field and, and, and violate you. It is rape, but what about that uncle at home who's doing this? What about the husband who is forcing himself to a wife? What about um, 
a girlfriend and a boyfriend, a girlfriend who's not ready or psychologically ready, according to the law, to be involved in sexual activities and is actually influenced to be involved in such activities. What about a lady that was under influence or a, a, a boy that was under influence and ended up um, engaging to sex because of the other person? So for me, rape, it, it, it's really broad. It's a broad term. It's got anything to do with sexual abuse, not only just touching, but um, like a lot of things, a lot of attitude. It's also raping. For me, even the attitude, if someone comes forward um, saying they've been raped, if I'm still um, believing that they were raped because of this, if I can still say someone was raped because I'm also raping them. Sure. Okay. Because how can one say, yeah, um, this person got raped because they were wearing this, because they were in this place. So you have already justified it and you think it's right. It's a very broad definition of rape. Um, the question I was asking was the word brave, to be brave. to. Oh, brave, sorry. <laughs> no, but that's great. Thank you for that definition of rape because I think it's important that people understand that it's not just a penis in a vagina, it's more than that. Yes. So thank you for that. But I, I want to okay. know brave, the word brave, how does that uh, talk to you in terms of harassment and, and sexual violence? I would say with my experience of working with the survivors, I'd say brave, the first step of believing what just has happened to you and convincing the self that I've been violated and accepting it. For me, it, it means you are brave enough. Reaching out to a, 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 another human being and saying, this has happened to me. It's, an, it's, it, it's also a different level to say this has happened to me and I need help. So it also, it shows how much you have taken what has happened to you, acknowledged it, and also understood that you need someone to get help. Because as much as I can be here telling the person that after this has happened to you, this is what you need, this is what you need to do, this is what must happen, and then But at the end of the day, it's not gonna be what I say, it's gonna be what they believe. It's gonna be what they think they need at that time. So the timing is also very important. As much as I can say, I've read about this, I've worked with people, it differs on how people deal with their um, uh, trauma. So um, if an individual is brave enough to come forward and say, I need help, to come forward and tell the world of what they've experienced, telling the world doesn't mean you're gonna tell the whole South Africa. If you can tell one person or two people, you are brave enough. That's for me, um, if you we have reached the point where you come out and tell people, regardless of you do you know them or you don't, you have a relationship with them, but to acknowledging the fact that what is happening out there and what has happened to you, relating and you telling other people, you educating, it's also like for me, this is the step where the survivor, if they have reached the step, for me, it's like something uh it's really something I always admire. I would say, wow. That's a different level of braveness. Well, I think we've got a lot of brave women, children and women out there. So you, you also work with people to help them exit, to leave an abusive relationship. 
what are a couple of tips you can give people who are in a, an abusive relationship and they want to get out? Okay, so we have a documentation which we sat down and put together um, at years, the exit strategy plan. When a woman, for example, wants to live an abusive relationship, especially here in South Africa, it has to do with a lot because they need to, to face most of our women in relationships, they are dependent to their partners with our culture and how most of our family structures are, it's it not easy for, women, for, for a woman to just terminate the relationship, which is the reason why most of the women will stay in a relationship even when they know they have to leave, but they just imagining the life after leaving, it's gonna be difficult. How will I ever, ever be able to live this life? Will I ever be able to afford this life? So it, it, it's really complicated when it comes to that matter. I always say to people, it's very difficult to work with women uh, who are abused in their relationships. Either they're married or they're living with these people. It's complicated because we have to consider a lot of facts. They can be getting beaten or emotionally abused every day, but it's not easy to just come and say to them, you need, you, you, since you are saying you're leaving, you can just leave tomorrow. So it, 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 it's a step, it's a journey. They need to first, when they reach out and say, I'm being abused and I know there is no way I'm gonna leave the, this relationship. It's either I'm gonna be dead or I walk out now. But my issue is ABC, how, what am I gonna do with my children? What am I gonna do with myself? I'm not working, I'm depending, uh, dependent to this man. So what we always do, we give the document that's gonna actually outline for you that you need to be ready for the fact that it's gonna, it's gonna change a lot of things. We kind of psychologically preparing them that they're gonna be safe when leaving the relationship emotionally and physically, because they, they can be harmed physically in the relationship. But financially, it's going to affect them. So it's kind of helping them be brave enough to say, I'm gonna lose one, two, three, but I need to prioritize my safety. I need to prioritize my mental health. I need to prioritize my life more than anything. So if they walk out into the relationship, they're not gonna go to a shelter for three months. And when they leave the shelter and realizing that I do not have a job, because with our highest rate of unemployment, you cannot say to someone, you're gonna go to a shelter and you're gonna come out and get a job. It's hard here in South Africa, they will have to start from scratch. So you have to help them understand that as much as they can lose financial support, but they will still be having themselves. So it's kind of preparing them. We always recommend that a person, as much as it's not recommendable to get a counseling while you are still in an abusive relationship, but for women who are actually in abusive relationships, we will say to them, you go for counseling, talk to a counselor, start planting this seed because they've already started thinking about it. That's why they approached us. So to them, it's already, the process already started. They've been thinking about it, but talk to someone, prepare yourself, gather this documentation, do this, do this, do this, gather evidence. Because for example, if they want to open a case, they will need evidence. If they are able to document everything that has been happening in the relationship, they can document it. And we will say, um, I will say to myself, to them uh, uh, and say, you can send me 
uh, screenshots you can send me um pictures and, and and voice notes on whatsapp i'll keep it for you then when you are going to open a case it can be a year later i will give these documents to you you can put them as evidence you're going to be ready you're going to be ready for your case you're going to be ready to leave you're going to be ready psychologically as much as you're still going to need um counseling after leaving that abusive relationship but at least you'll be safe at that time isn't it dreadful that the victim has to leave the home when it should be the abuser that leaves the home? Yes, yes. That's very sad because normally that's what should be happening. But in most of the cases, you find that perpetrators, I, I always say, they plan their abuse. Because others you find that a woman is staying with them, they've invested, of which they can actually maybe have some ground fighting them in court. But with our South Africa and how things operate, if the person owns the house and maybe they've been paying the rent, it doesn't matter. They, they forget the fact that this other person has been also maybe contributing financially or they've been contributing their time and maintaining the house and everything. But when a woman leaves the relationship, they walk empty handed. If you could have a billboard on, on the side of the street, what would it say? If you could have a big bill, billboard on the side of the street, what would you put on it? Um, I have a lot of things to say, but I think, I think I would write that Um, I'll put something that's gonna give people a picture that it's not always it, it, it's always um, you you always have time to to start over. I, it might not make sense, but it, you always have a, you always have a choice. You can still make um, a, a choice and and start over. You you can always start over. That's fantastic advice. Start over. How do you manage your emotions dealing with all these horrible situations? How do you keep calm and serene within all this violence and hatred? Um, this is a very sensitive job. Um, I didn't realize when I first started, I thought I would be fine, but actually it's not. It's a very sensitive work. So I get counseling myself. I get counseling sessions because I really need to talk about what I work with because sometimes other cases are extreme to the point that you get invested emotionally. And with the fact that you put yourself in the other person's shoes and you walk the journey with them, you leave um, as much as you cannot experience all their emotions, but you get to live their story. So um, it's very important for myself to get counseling. And also we do a lot of debriefing uh, with my colleagues. So I've been finding it helping me a lot. Self-care starts with self-care because you can't care for anyone else if you can't care for yourself. Yes, that's true. So, well, you go and take good care of yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, wow. I think that's what I would put. I admire you so much for the work that you do. It is so needed. It's so sad that you have that work, but it's, it's wonderful that people like you are there supporting these 
survivors, supporting them through their journeys. It's wonderful. Is there any last message you would like to leave for survivors out there? Um, I would say um, for whatever that has happened and what they have went through, they need to always remember it was never their fault. There are people out there who still care for them, love them, and will do everything to help them change. Wonderful. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yes. Lovely. And you are not alone. Yes, they're true. You are not alone. Thank you so much, Nasishla, for, for being on the show with us today. The work you do is invaluable. So sad, as I said, that you have to do it, but wonderful that you are there doing it and providing this amazing support to these survivors. So thank you so much for the work you and the work that Tears does. I will put contact detail in the show notes if anybody in the region needs to reach out. So thank you very much for joining us. And I invite everybody who's listening to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Walking Without Skin. We would love your feedback, opinions, suggestions, and ratings. Please share this podcast far and wide to encourage more people to share their stories with vulnerability and authenticity. I want to laugh. I want